Hello, this is Rick Millenthal, and welcome to Voices of Resilience. In this series, we highlight the personal journeys of thought leaders through adversity and trauma to find resilience and hope. Today, we have two very special people, Donna and Jeff Heck, who are founders of 33 Forever, which provides help and resources for those suffering from depression and anxiety. 33 Forever was founded in honor of their daughter, Danny, who lost her long battle to chronic depression just under two years ago. Donna and Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Rick. You and Karen are very much our heroes for having us on this podcast. We appreciate so much being asked. Well, thank you. And of course, you're talking about my wife, Karen, who co-produces this series with me and the team at the shipyard. And I actually have her on right now because she was so enthused about you two coming on the show. Karen, tell us why. Donna and Jeff, I think I told you this before. We started the podcast with a very broad idea of just talking about mental health, which has been something that's been a passion for us for a long time and something that the agency has really taken to heart. I think that I told you that I suffered a pretty serious loss when I was very young and really didn't talk about it for a very, very long time. And I think that when people who have suffered heartbreak and loss and use that to try to repair the world and make it a better place, it is our honor to share that story. Thank you for that. I know Jeff and I do not feel like we're extraordinary in any way. As he always says when we talk to people, it's just something that happened to our family, and we can't be silent about it. You know, Karen, for so many years, we didn't talk about your father, you losing your father for suicide. Has this podcast series been part of that navigation, even healing, even though it's decades later? Absolutely. Of course it is. It's freed me to have the conversation. And so it was 35 years ago. And as we know, the conversation has changed exponentially since then. But it also allows me in the door so that I can let people know that it's an experience I understand. Karen, that's the key that we have found whenever we share our story. The people that come back with the story of their loved one or their friend and the tears that are there, I hope it heals them in some way because it's such a sensitive subject. And I know it upsets so many people that may have never talked about it. Uh, Jeff and I had a presentation yesterday with a local group, and I can't tell you how many people spoke about someone in their life and appreciated what we've done to start the conversation. I think it helps you cope, at least it does me, when you have the opportunity to share. And the thing that's been really eye-opening, I think, to us as we've gone through this and what Donna said about yesterday is exactly right, but we see it all the time, which is that we have created somehow a place where people feel comfortable talking about their own experiences where they might not otherwise. Tell us about Danny. Danny was and still is the most powerful force that you would ever meet. In our family, she had strength and humor. She'd walk into a room and you would know she was there. This happened basically from the time she was a young girl. Rick, I don't know if you know this, but Jeff and I were a blended family. And uh, about 20 years ago, we blended six of our children 
And the closeness of our family is you would never know that we were blended. They call each other siblings. They call both of us their parents. It is not any type of separation in that respect. And our two oldest daughters, Danny and Sarah, were life forces like you would never believe. And, um, and Danny, although she is not the face or the personality of depression, um, she did struggle with it. But you would never know it in any of your interactions with her because of her sense of having an incredible business mind. She was very successful with finances. She had an incredible career. She had so many friends. She had a great family. There was nothing in her life that looked like it needed fixed. But she started struggling as a young teenager. I used to tell Danny that she didn't even understand the power and the force that she was or could be. And, and uh, when I came into her life at around 15, when Don and I started seeing each other, she was that force then. And that's when she started having some of her problems. But at the same time, she still had that incredible sense and I say power because that's exactly what it was. And, and I used to call her in charge Marge because she was, she always was. When I first met her, she swam with Sarah, my biological daughter, but swam with her. And I would watch those two at eight and nine years old. And, and I'd think, oh boy, they will change the world one day. And I had this thought yesterday that she really still, you know, she's not with us anymore, but she still is changing the world. She was aware of her challenges, wasn't she? She was. When she was 14, 15 years old, she started um, getting moody and angry and temperamental. We thought, like most people, that she's a typical teenage girl. She's going to have her moods, go up and down. Never in our life were we faced with anybody who had taken their lives in our family. We were never aware of anybody who had depression, anxiety, and if there were, which looking back there are, but no one was treated for it. So to us, we just felt like it was the stress of the divorce and perhaps trying to find her way in school. And we wrote it off to, you'll get over it, snap out of it. One night when she was 15, Jeff and I were not married, and he got a call two in the morning from um, our friend's mom and said that they were on the way to the hospital because she had tried to take her life. And right after she had taken um, some medication, she called her friend and the mom came, picked her up, and uh, they were on the way to the hospital. And Danny was in the basement of my house and I knew none of this was going on. She had no idea that she was that unhappy. Um, so that started the whole trajectory of her depression and her attempt to hide the pain and the PTSD and all the issues that she was struggling with that we were, you know, unaware of, of trying to get help. So, you know, she was aware of it and she didn't let people know. She had a mask that she could wear very well, but it was there, always, always there. Rick, she did know it once we got past some of the early issues, the typical teenage 15-year-old girl issues, and you know, she got into her 20s and she continued to struggle. I think it was at that point, she had an attempt at 22 that was very serious, and uh, she got some more intensive help and treatment. She got help and treatment at 15, but at, at 22 was really kind of the change as far as when she really knew this was going to be a battle for her that she would have to manage her entire life. And so she was... Uh, pretty good at, at at going to see doctors and have talk therapy, have the care that she needed from the mental health professionals in a variety of different ways. 
and, you know, take medicine that was prescribed for her. And she didn't fight that. She knew that that was something in her brain that just didn't work right if she didn't get those ways to cope. So even at the very end, I mean, the day she died, she was scheduled the next day to see her doctor. And uh, she was trying to get medicine working quite right for her. She was on some new meds or, or different meds. She was quite aware of it. And she knew that that was something she needed to work through and battle through that she would have trouble with from time to time. One of the things also that has inspired us to do this podcast, as you know, Karen and I are not medical professionals. And I started with my colleagues at the shipyard, which is a marketing company and as a volunteer effort because our business partner, David Grislock and his wife lost their son at 17 years old, which had us witness very close up what you're talking about. And like Danny, David Jr., that was his name, you know, was always very aware of what was going on and they were aware and they conversed about it. They weren't in denial and you weren't in denial. And the same thing that the day it happened, there was nothing different about that day, except at that moment, it obviously overcame him. And that's probably how it was for you that day too, right? You know, it was exactly that. We had had, um, she died February 11th, 2019. And February 10th, we had our sixth uh, grandbaby born in um, North Carolina. Danielle was so excited to uh, see pictures of her. She FaceTimed with her sister. And this little baby looks just like Danny did as a baby. And it wasn't her biological sister. So she was, oh my gosh, I finally got my baby. This is so exciting. You know, when am I going to meet her? So she had an up day. She was very positive. Um, by that night, um, I was texting her and she was a little disconnected. And I said, are you okay? And she goes, I'm fine, mom. I'm, you know, just have a lot of stress going on in my life. And I said, you know, is there anything I can do? I, you know, is there any way I can help? And she said, I, you know, I go see my psychiatrist tomorrow. I'm going to be traveling this weekend. My boyfriend's coming in. I signed my lease today for the new apartment. I'm fine. I, you know, I'll get over it. And, uh, and then sent me a kissy face. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking, all right, you're fine. Um, a little worried, but not, not, to, we never, um, for the past 10 years prior to that, we thought she was over the act of feeling like she couldn't go on another moment. So we went to bed and then at, at um, you know, a little after three in the morning, we got a phone call. And when it was ringing, I looked at Jeff and I had said, this is it. It just happened. And it was a phone call that we were waiting since she was 15 for that we didn't ever vocalize to each other that it might be something that could happen. Um, and he, you know, he knew it too. And, um, and that was, you know, her best friend calling us saying, I think, I think there's a problem. Well, you can feel it. You can feel it right now. Just reliving that day. Tough day. Yeah. You know, it was tough too, but we don't want to bring people down, especially even with this podcast, you know, Jeff and I and our entire family, we want to bring hope to people and encouragement that, if Danny had gotten past that moment, just like your friend's son, I, it was literally a moment in time that if she could have gone to sleep, had um, talked to somebody that maybe would have just distracted her enough for two or three minutes, I believe she would be here. And that's what we want people to know, that if you're in that moment, talk to somebody. And if you are the family member waiting 
or watching to see if there is somebody that's struggling and you're in your mind, you're thinking they're just going to take their lives. I don't know what to do. And if you are just on and just able to be there, there's hope. Donna, as you were talking, I was thinking about that, but I was, I was also thinking about the sort of the irony um, of what you said about getting past the moment, because one of the things Danielle had said to us in the, really in just a few months before we lost her, she had said, you know, when I was 22, which is the last time that she had attempted uh, prior to when she died at 33, when I was 22, I had trouble seeing how the situation was going to get better. Things were going to improve or, you know, this, this bad time I was having was going to pass. And now I'm in my 30s and I, and I know that, you know, these things are temporary and they don't have to dictate your life and they don't have to, to overwhelm you. But, you know, in that moment, the things going on with her, when she got into that moment of darkness, uh, which she'd had before, it was just too much. At Christmas time, Daniel was home and she died in February. So at Christmas time, she was home. She was in Ohio. And she and I were talking about what could she do? She had some ideas about some business things she wanted to do. Uh, she wanted to consult with businesses, but she also had an idea that she wanted to be able to impact people's lives and help them get through those moments and be the best they could be. So, you know, the thing about mental health challenges is that sometimes people don't want to talk about them very much. And, and Danny always said, you know, I, I have trouble talking to my friends and my family about the struggles I've had, but I could literally see myself standing on a stage talking to a thousand people and telling them my story and telling them how they can still be their best and still get through it and still be successful in, in, in not just business, but in life, uh, despite the, the challenges that they've had. You told Karen and I that you sat together and did a business plan. We had talked about how she could finance it, how she could get some assistance doing it, how she could apply for some SBA things as a woman-owned business. And, and we were talking about all those kinds of things. And so out of that came 33 Forever. Tell us about that. Exactly. You know, when tragedy strikes a family, uh, you can do one of two things. You can do what we all wanted to do. Every one of her five siblings and, uh, and Jeff and I, or dad, everybody, we just wanted to curl up in a ball and never get out of bed. Or we could use something that was horrible and turn it into something to help people. You know, the moment that I told Sarah, Sarah was with us when we got the call, when I told her that we had lost Danny, she um, absolutely, you know, freaked out. And she said, you know, after the tears, well, what are we going to tell people, Donna? I, you know, we, we can't um, tell them what really happened. I've got to protect you. I looked at her and grabbed her hands and I said, you know what, babe, we are going to tell the exact truth. We are not going to let suicide win. We are going to tell her story because this is a moment that we've got to move forward and not let it win and take us all down with it. So within a couple of days, um, Jeff had his lawyer people and friends and accountants, and they got the back end of, uh, of a business started. We had uh, talked to my uh, youngest daughter. We were all throwing names out. Well, what could we have if we started this? And Danny's younger sister, Alex, said, why don't we do 33 forever? And at that moment, I got covered in, I call them Danny bumps. And it was the first time I had gotten them. And it was like Danny speaking to me saying, that's it. That's what I want you to do. And that started 33 forever, like four days after um, we lost Danielle. So 
The mission of 33 Forever is to provide help and resources for those suffering from depression and anxiety. Tell us about that. We have a website called um, www.33forever.life. And on there, we told Danielle's story and we um, have many resources locally and nationally for people to go to if they're struggling with, um, whether it's eating disorders, um, if you're struggling with suicidal thoughts, if you're a vet, if you're having any other type of serious mental health issue, we've got resources there. And we've met with many state representatives and professional people who can help those struggling. Just like you said, Rick, you and Karen aren't mental health professionals. No one in our family uh, is a mental health professional. We have two girls who are uh, social workers who have done a lot of social work, but we don't know the medical side. So we have gotten people on an advisory board. We have them pretty much in our speed dial, psychiatrists, psychologists, therapists, hospitals, where we can direct people that may direct message us in the middle of the night or send us a message on Facebook that they are in need of help for a loved one. So those are the resources and the getting help that we have found that we've been able to do. And we want to truly expand on that as the the years go forward. Really what our idea with that, Rick, was our personal experience showed us that when something happens in your life and in your family, there is sometimes not very much help. We had a circumstance, and I'll give you a specific example with Danielle. At 22, she made a serious attempt. She ended up in an intensive care uh, unit. She was not awake for a couple of days. And when she woke up, she's in a level one trauma center, and they put her in a lockdown psychiatric unit at that hospital, which was appropriate at that time. She was, you know, she'd been suicidal. Well, within a couple of days, they had made a decision that she was not bad enough to be in there. You know, she wasn't psychotic. She wasn't in active psychosis. She wasn't. Uh, you know, she wasn't having schizophrenic break. She wasn't having those things. And, and, you know, she could, she could talk the talk. She knew what to say. She'd uh, been admitted previously. And so she knew what to say to get discharged. And they basically said, you don't belong here. And so within a couple of days, again, this is an adult person. She's 22 now. They, they literally released her to us and said, you know, here you go. Uh, it was scary for us. It was uh, really almost beyond frightening because we said to them, okay, well, what can we do here in town? What treatment can we get her? Again, that was a few years ago. But we saw that as a challenge as we started this organization to provide resources to people. So not that we can help them directly, but we can help them by helping them find the right places and the right options and the right care choices and the right uh, even to learn about the diseases uh, that are out there. And uh, so that was one of the big things that uh, we decided 33 Forever needed to be to people. Uh, we get a lot of commentary about that. So from the resource standpoint, that was really what we were trying to accomplish. You said earlier that she was skilled at wearing a mask while continuing to struggle. And we've heard that before. I feel like 33 Forever is telling people, you can take off the mask. You can talk about your struggles. 
You know, absolutely, Rick. And that is hard for people that are skilled to wear that mask. It's a tool in their toolbox that they've used to cope. So if you look at those uh, movie stars, you know, Robin Williams and those people that are out in the public eye who have taken their lives, they all have, whether it's humor, whether it's um, their profession um, being an athlete, they have a mask that they wear to make the world think that they're okay, that they're, you know, they don't want to seem weak. They don't want to seem like they're troubled. The stigma behind it is there, you know, if you have a quote unquote mental illness, you're damaged. And we wanted people to say, you know, look at this face. Danielle is gorgeous, successful, and she's not damaged. She's had struggles and, uh, and she, uh, you know, when you take off that mask, you are able to get help, find yourself a little bit vulnerable, but that's when the healing can begin. I think the stigma thing that Donna just talked about is really critical because I think mental illness, mental health challenges are are still in our society, still subject to a significant amount of stigma. You know, it, it's a disease. I mean, these are diseases of the brain and we ought to be treating them like, uh, you know, diabetes. If I had diabetes, I wouldn't be ashamed to tell somebody that I, you know, my diabetes was was kicked up and I had to take different medicine or I needed a pump or something. But we don't do the same thing even still uh, with mental health challenges. And, you know, we've even tried to equate what Danny had when we were talking to our grandchildren, our grandchildren are talking to their, you know, our young grandchildren are talking to parents. You know, we say, just like somebody might pass away from a heart attack, we say Aunt Danny had a brain attack because that's exactly what happened to her in, in those moments. And so we need to change the way we talk because we act like somehow mental health challenges or mental illness are that person's choice or that person's fault or that person's weakness. That was really well said. I have not heard that phrase. She had a brain attack. Yeah, when we heard that, Rick, it was like lights went off in, in our head that this is something that people can understand. It wasn't her fault. It wasn't a selfish act. You know, there's so many inconsistent thought processes out there when someone takes their life or even attempts a suicide. And it's not that they are deliberately looking for attention. Danny never wanted attention on her, which is really funny because of her personality, but that kind of attention she did not want. But an unsuccessful attempt at suicide is, is what you want, actually, because it's a cry for help and it's a way that you can get them to the right professionals. And, you know, it's just like a warning sign in the heart attack you have a or a, prior to a stroke. So it is a warning sign and it's something that needs to be discussed and not be embarrassed. And to talk to our grandkids, you know, being young and to talk to my father who couldn't even comprehend the fact that she tried to take her life. Um, it was, uh, you know, you've just got to bring all these worlds together and find a common bond and to be able to talk about it like you're going to the gym that day. And that's why you talk on your side about spreading hope and healing. This is how you do it, isn't it? Absolutely. Hey, I'd like to ask you about Sarah. She sounds terrific. She's a teacher and she's involved in all this. And my understanding is uh, she's starting to work with some high schoolers on this issue. Sarah is our educational programming chair. She's doing presentations 
in college campuses now, a lot through the Greek system, through the sorority and fraternity systems, talking about 33 forever, but also giving the college students around the state resources in their locality so that they can have options to go get help, get treatment for either themselves, their friends, their loved ones, the people that they come across on on campus. Every one of our kids just has a role and not one of them like pulled back and said, I can't do this. I can't talk about it. So it's comforting what Karen had said before, that healing starts when you can try to help others. So as a mom, that gives me so much comfort that they're all involved trying to help people because, you know, if you go back to statistics for losing a child to suicide, um, It can happen again and again. Um, It's, uh, you know, those statistics I don't like to even read about. um, Marriages fail because of losing a loved one. And that's something that we, you know, we've discussed to keep it in the forefront to know that, you know, this is an area we need to be aware of, but not to let it define us, not to let it hold us back. Like every moment I'm thinking, oh no, is somebody going to, you know, going to try this or, you know, is our marriage okay? Because we just know that we're all, it's like all eight of us, you know, Danny's got the hand in heaven coming down from us and we're all holding hands and we're a chain and we're going to be stronger because of this. And that's, you know, the one thing that we all said, we're not going to let it break us. We are going to change the world like she would want us to. You know, uh, listening to you talk, and I was thinking about this at the beginning of our talk, you were newlyweds when you began to face these challenges. You know, we were. That's so true. And uh, and even before we were married. Yeah. Actually, that's true. You know, the one thing that we have always had on our side is, um, you know, before Jeff and I even got engaged, we took all the kids on a, on a cruise, actually, because we wanted them to know that this was a blended life. It wasn't just Jeff and I getting married and you guys are coming along with us. We knew that our divorces affected our children so much. It was something that you just don't set out you know, to do in life. And, and I mean, that was Jeff and mine's character. But we knew that blending us together, we had to be one whole unit to save from future mental health problems for these kids because we knew it was affecting them. And we just wanted to make them stronger and give us a unit stronger. So it was a great bond. And the kids saw our commitment to each other, our commitment to them. And I think that's what made it so successful. And truly, I mean, you can't say what we went through was easy with all these challenges because Danny wasn't the only one who had, you know, some ups and downs with mental health. You know, we've dealt with eating disorders. We've dealt with all kinds of hiccups in kids' lives and in our own. And we have just face them together. So we are blessed that we were able to become a unit together because if I'd have had to go through this with Danielle without Jeff by my side, I don't believe we would all be in the same position we are today. The strength we get from each other is truly amazing. That's really well said. That is. That's beautiful. Do you have advice for others who have loved ones that are facing these challenges? I think the one thing for me that, that, and it took a while to do this, Sometimes when your child or your family member is struggling with mental health challenge, sometimes it's easy to feel angry that your life feels a little out of control. And angry may not be the right word, but frustrated is maybe a better word. And, And I think you have to recognize that the person isn't making a choice to be this way. Uh, you know, just like 
you know, you're not making a choice if you have heart disease. You know, Jeff, that's that's perfectly uh, well said. And and the one thing I'd like to add to that that we have found is um, educate yourself in a way so you know what um, what challenges your loved one's facing. Um, we've talked to many people who um, who have had issues, and we have directed them somewhere to whether it be reading a book or just to give yourself a little bit of knowledge because knowledge is power. And the fear of the unknown, I mean, going through at 15, when Danny had tried to take her life, every day I was petrified that something was going to happen again, something was going to happen. And I, and, I, and I felt I had no control. And although you don't have control of that individual, if you empower yourself with some education, what resources are, are out there? NAMI is a tremendous resource, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Locally, our Richland County, uh, NAMI helped us tremendously. And, and actually, uh, even in saying that, we are giving back to that community right now is 33 Forever. We fund um, their school programs and we're, uh, we're a partner in funding. They just started a NAMI on campus here locally. So, um, but getting in touch or looking at, at resources like that will help. I think Donna's statement about knowledge being power is just, re- that's a very powerful statement in and of itself, because I think when you understand more about the disease process, you you can understand how to respond, accept it, uh, and and you know more than to try to assist that person, that family member, that loved one with whatever they're going through. Well, I understand you're doing some partnerships with the Ohio State University. Is that right? We are. We've been linked up with the Department of Behavioral Health and Psychiatry. We've been able to get to know Dr. Fon on a personal level, and they have been a tremendous resource for us. You know, when we talk about helping people find the right care and the treatment, OSU has been such a great place for us to reach out. They're so responsive, and they do such a great job. So on the adult side, we're working with them. And we're, we're developing partnership as well with Nationwide Children's Hospital there in Columbus with their behavioral health program as well. well Dr. Fon was our partner in starting this podcast series. And as you know, they're collaborators on this whole series. So that's terrific. We do know that. And that's how we got linked up with you in the first place. So we, we love Dr. Fon and his whole staff. They're just tremendous people with a passion really for uh, the same things that we're we're passionate about. So it's very exciting to have uh, some good collaboration with them. And I'm I'm an old Buckeye anyway, so that that fits my uh, personality anyhow. What do you think during this pandemic? You think these are even bigger challenges? Oh, Rick, you can uh, you can tell us that one, hi, huh? because I know you are seeing it firsthand, and what you're doing with Voices of Resilience is incredible to help people because. Um, I think if you'd even say the statistic, one out of two people right now are struggling with some sort of mental health challenge since this pandemic um, happened might even be low. Um, It is um, everywhere. People who have never had anxiety um, or fear, they're having it now with everything that's, that's, um, you know, going on in the world with the unrest, with the uncertainty. So um, now is the time where people truly need to look for some resources. Yeah, the isolation is a big part of it, I think, too. I was talking to somebody yesterday about mental health challenges, and they actually are predicting, it's a little frightening because I think it's already a little, uh, you know, that's rampant. But they're actually predicting that some people 
your resilience stays up for a while, but then you use your bucket of resilience up. And then as your bucket of resilience gets low and you don't have a way to fill that bucket back up, then you begin to have some of the challenges. So it's more important than ever that we be aware of each other and gentle with each other and helping each other and be aware of what's going on in each other's lives. Well, you're right. That's been the theme of this series all along. Keep those reserves of resilience up. You need those reserves of resilience through these challenges. I absolutely believe that this pandemic is emptying some, but I also believe it's fueling some of those reserves because for the first time, the whole world is connected and can see these mental health challenges together. You talk about that your goal is to bring hope for those struggling. Do you have hope? I absolutely have hope, whether it's from just doing, uh, you know, podcasts like this um, or talking to someone one-on-one. I feel like Danny's dream has become our passion. Every day I get up and, uh, and you know, the pain is there. And as Jeff said before, it's, it's always there. I mean, I have many days where I'm just, uh, you know, broken. And I, I'm, Danny was my best friend. Um, we talked every single day. We laughed. I, I, it was the best relationship uh, that a mother and daughter could have. So I miss her more than anything, but I know that we're making a difference. And, and that is the core, I think, of human nature is to be able to make a difference in someone's life. Um, Jeff and I used to have uh, a, a competition when we were first married, and it was very silly. And I've told you know some of our kids this, but but at the end of the day, we would say to each other, "All right, whose day did you make brighter today?" If you can bring hope to people in any any way of your life, in any any instance, I, I think you feel better about yourself, and uh, and it makes your own mental health challenges that you, you know you have that just might be there a little bit easier to deal with because you brighten somebody's life up. And that's what we just hope to do with 33 Forever. And Rick, the thing that I'm hopeful about, even in the midst of the pandemic, is we're having conversations like this podcast, for example, but in many other ways. We're talking about mental health more than I think as a society we ever have. And that gives me great hope because I know that the most important thing we can possibly do to change some of the stigma, to change some of the resistance to getting care and treatment or identifying problems is conversation and discussion and make it in the forefront of people's minds. And and I think, you know, the one thing the pandemic has done is it's caused that to happen. So the more we talk about it, the better things are going to get. And that that's, that's my hope right now. Well, Don and Jeff, your bravery, your grace, your leadership, and your journey to find resilience is an inspiration to us all. Thank you so much for joining us. Rick, thank you for having us. We can't tell you how grateful we are that you are doing this podcast and you are sharing hope with the world. That's the best way to say it. That's exactly right. Thank you, Rick. We appreciate you and everybody at the shipyard. Thank you. To learn more about 33 Forever, visit 33forever.life. Boy, I like that web address. I love that domain, 33forever.life. Voices of Resilience is produced by the marketing engineers at the Shipyard in collaboration with the Ohio State University Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Health. To listen to our whole series, 
Visit us at VoicesOfResiliencePodcast.com or on Spotify, Google, and Apple Play. Now, we just learned a few weeks ago that we were named by Adweek as the best podcast in the nation launched during the pandemic. So many thanks to our award-winning team, Mike Long, Kate Masters, Coop Studios, and of course, my favorite, Karen Millenthal. Thanks for joining us.